start in John chapter 17. This is Jesus right before he is going to be uh, beat and crucified and die and laid in the grave and then raised uh, three days later. And so this is the high priestly prayer of Christ right before his crucifixion. And he's praying for and praying to God on our behalf as believers. And so this is what he says in John chapter 17, verses 9, 11, and 15. He says this, I'm praying for them. He's talking to them. He's talking about you and me as believers. I'm, ta- I'm praying for them. So he's praying to God, his Father, for us on our behalf. I'm not praying for the world, but those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And so of all the things that Jesus could be praying for right before he goes to the cross to die, he's not even praying for the very people that he came to save, but he's praying for those who he had already saved, you and I. He says this in verse 11, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. So he continues to pray for us. He's saying to him, I am not in the world, they are in the world. Verse 15, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them in the world, and you keep them from the evil one. And then in verse 18, he he says this, As you have sent me into the world, so I send them into the world. And so here we have this picture that Jesus is praying to God the Father on our behalf. I believe he prays it for us still. He, of all the things that he could have done, he's calling us to be in the world. What? Why would God the Father and God the Son want us to be in the world? This is what he says to us. So God, through Jesus, has placed us in the world. What does he say? Uh, you can turn or not turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. He says this, but you are a chosen race. You see, God has chosen us. Even though we're in the world, we're chosen by God to be in the world a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for my own possession, that they, that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness and into, the, into this light. So here we have this picture that God, through Jesus, has called us to be a royal priesthood, and he's placed us in the world. What? He says this in 1 John 2. So now we're in the world, he's placed us in the world, and he says this in 1 John chapter 2, 15. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And so we're beginning to see this picture that God has called us through his son Jesus. He's saved us and yet keeps us remained in the world, but not to love the things of the world. And this is, again, what he says in, through Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 through 16. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us, the believer, the church, into a triumphal possession and through us spreads the fragrance of knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death and to the other a fragrance from life to life. And so here we have this picture that Christ has saved us And yet in saving us, he has kept us in this world for a purpose. To be a fragrance to the rest of the world. 
And so what is the mission of God this morning? What is our mission? What is the purpose of God? You, you see, you are where you are because God has placed you where you are. If you are a nurse, you are there to be a nurse, but I promise you this, the bigger picture is not there to be a nurse. If you're a teacher, you are teaching kids. Uh, well, my teacher didn't teach me very well because I don't know how to say, the, say very many English words correct. Um, like crayons, um, that's her bad, not mine. But you were there teaching kids how, how to be students. But I promise you this, you're there for a bigger purpose than just being a teacher. Wherever you are at, God has placed you there. It's not by chance that you have the job that you have. You don't just own the house because you bought the house. I promise you that. We have a sovereign God who's in control of all things, even where you decide to live, because in the end, you're not deciding where you live, but God has opened and made provisions for you to live there. You live there for a purpose. And it's a bigger purpose than just having shelter or food or safety. I promise you this. It's what Paul says to that church in Corinthians. It's you are there as a fragrant offering to God. And so what are we to do with that? What is our purpose in that? I believe it's found in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Jesus says this about himself. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's our mission. Christ's mission was to come and seek and save the lost, and therefore our job, our call, is to seek and save the lost. That's how we are to be a fragrant offering. So wherever God has you, Today, it's to seek and save the lost. It's way more than a paycheck, though a paycheck comes in handy. So for us this morning, do we believe this to be true? And now we're going to go all the way to Matthew. What does Jesus say to us? If we're to, be the, to, be, uh, the, to seek and save the lost, how are we to seek and save the lost? I believe it's found in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. It's coming out of the Beatitudes. You remember over the last two months, we've been studying the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes come from Matthew chapter 4, where Jesus says, hey, the kingdom of God is at hand. And then he begins to invite people into his kingdom, and through his blood and death and resurrection, we now become kingdom citizens. And now he begins to tell us in the Beatitudes, in the Sermon on the Mount, what does it look like for us to have our citizenship in this new kingdom? And he goes after the heart and the Beatitudes. Their heart has to be changed. Because if he doesn't go with the heart and he goes with the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, the rest of the Sermon on the Mount will become an outflow of a heart change. See, the rest of the Sermon on the Mount are our exterior things. But Jesus knows he's got to do something with the heart because in and of itself, behavior modification is not the thing that will save us. Our hearts are what save us through the redemptive blood of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus says, when you come to me as your Savior, these things will happen. And he walks us through the Beatitudes, how we are to be saved. And it starts with uh, the first Beatitude. We have to recognize our neediness for a holy God. And then when we see our need for uh, a ho the holiness of God, the holiness of God shines into our life, and we begin to mourn over the things that he mourns over. It's called sin. And then he goes on to the rest of the Beatitudes, and then what we talked about two weeks ago 
was when we live out the Beatitudes, our character is different, and when our character is different, the world's going to hate us. That's persecution. And yet now here we've just walked through several passages that God has a purpose for us to be in the world. You've heard it a thousand times. Be in the world, but not of the world. And so what are we to do with that? I believe Jesus says it here. Let's read Matthew chapter 5 together. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. You are, the, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall it be sal- its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out, trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. So for me, as I was getting ready for this message, I thought to myself with that very first thing, he says to us, You are the salt and light of the world. What for? What are we the salt and light of the world for? Because if we don't believe what we're the salt and light of the world for, the rest of the text doesn't matter. And so for me, for you, we have to come to this agreement. You see, the salt and light of the world is because the world needs us in the world. See that? We are here by on purpose. And so, do we believe that the world needs salt and light? You see, we're getting into what the salt and light mean, but it can be boiled down to these two things. Do we believe that the world is corrupt, and do we believe that the world is dark? You see, because if we believe that the world is corrupt, the world's going to need salt. And do, if we believe that the world is dark, then the world needs light. And so do you believe this morning, and do I believe this morning, that we live in a dark and corrupted world? Do we believe that this morning, or is it just something we hear and we're like, yeah? Because if we really believe that we live in a dark and corrupted world, you and I, as the believer, will do something about it. But far too long, the world has said yes, and our actions have said no. We become a gathering place on a Sunday morning and then we're sent out during the week and nothing changes. Why? Because we don't really believe that the world is corrupt and we don't really believe that the world is dark. How come? The Christian industry is making multi-million dollars of Christians pulling their kids out of public school to a Christian school. No, God placed us here for a purpose. And yet we as believers want to bring it in and shelter people. Now I'm all for taking care of our kids. But God has called us to be in the world. And yet so often we as believers shelter ourselves from the world. I would say this, and we'll get to the very end of the passage. It's this. Are we really glorifying God by sheltering ourselves from the world? See, God's placed us here. He told us in his high 
priestly prayer. Oh God, I'm sending them where? Into the world. What are we to do with that? We are to be the salt and the light of the world. You see, I love what Jesus does in Matthew 9, chapter 36. You see, Jesus is seeing the crowds, and he says this about the crowds. It's that very same crowd, I believe, that's in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. He says this, And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. Do we have that same heart when we see the world? You see, here's what Paul says about the harassed in 2 Timothy chapter 3. The whole chapter, Timothy chapter 3, talks about how it's going to go from bad to worse. He starts off by saying this, there'll be terrible times in the last days. Well, according to Paul, we're kind of in the last days. And yet in there, he weaves through what the world is going to look like. And he says this in verse 13 of uh, chapter 3. Second Timothy, he says this, While evil people and impostors go on from being bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. That's the world we live in. Do we believe that we live in a dying, corrupt, lost world? Do we believe that this morning? You see, the world doesn't believe that. You see, the, the world doesn't believe that they're dying and lost and corrupt. The world would say this, that we, at no point in history, have more chances over death than we ever had. We're, we're so far advanced here in America, for sure, in our cancer research, in AIDS research, in all these deadly diseases, that people really are being healed of their deadly diseases, and the world will say, see, we're farther ahead of death than we ever have been. And they would say this about being in the dark, No. We've been and seen things in the world that we've never seen before. Just yesterday, preparing for this, I read an article about us seeing a moon orbiting Saturn. Well, we wouldn't have seen that 100 years ago. And so the world would say, nope, see, we're not in a dark and lost, corrupted world. You see all the things that we've done, and they'd lead it back to their knowledge. You see, we're in the probably the most advanced uh, educational system that we've ever been in. We have more knowledge about things than we've ever had before, which is true. And so the world and their knowledge would look at it and say, no, we're not lost, we're not corrupt, and we're not dark. But what does the Word of God say about this world? You see, our knowledge will never lead us to holiness. God doesn't care what you know. God cares what you believe in. You, you see, there's theologians that know about God, but have no relationship with God. Go down to Vanderbilt. I've got a friend that just graduated from uh, the, the religious department of Vanderbilt, and some of the things that the religious teachers are teaching those young men and women that are going into the ministry is crazy. I mean, it's cuckoo in the cuckoo's nest. Even for me, getting ready to uh, be a counselor, some of the things that my teachers were saying, teaching me, they, they said this, and this is a quote. I went to a religious Christian school. This is what my professor said. 
my degrees in marriage and family, so all, most all the classes I had were about marriage and family. And they, she said this. She said, it doesn't matter who loves who. It just matters that they love each other. I was like, what? That was the first red, that was the flag on the play. Like, throw the whistle. That's the five-yard penalty offsides. She about did the personal foul 15-yard penalty with the next one. She said this, man or man, woman or woman, love is love. They ought to be married. That's from a religious school. Do we believe that we live in a lost and dying world? Do we believe that this morning? Here's what Jesus says about that. Throughout the Bible, he talks about how lost we are. You see, man's knowledge is ever increasing, but the knowledge is leading more and more and more creative ways to sin. Knowledge won't keep us from sinning. Knowledge is not the answer to our depravity. Knowledge is not our answer to depravity. Jesus Christ is our answer to our depravity. This is what Jesus and the Bible say about every single human being. Psalms chapter 51 verse 5 says this, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. All of us in this room were that way. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 5 why are you still being struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick, and the whole heart is faint. Whole means whole. If you want to study Greek, that word whole means whole. Just like all means all. Like, you don't have to go to seminary to figure out those two words. All means all, whole means whole. Jeremiah 17, 9 says this about the heart. The heart is deceitful, deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And Romans 3 Verse 10 says, chapter 3, verse 10 says this, None is righteous, no, not one. Not you, not you, not you, not you, not you, not this one. None of us in the room are righteous, no, not one. Romans 3, 23 says this, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Again, all means all. Circle that in your Bible. That means all. Everyone in this room, even the most precious cedar, he is desperately wicked. Just come over, you'll see. I'm like telling that kid, no, he's like chunking food across the room. Romans 5, 12 says this, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, death through sin, so death spread to what? All men, is what Romans says. Because all have sinned. I love what John MacArthur says in his commentary. He says this, Just as every person is affected by the sin problem, every person contributes to the sin problem. We all have been affected by sin, and we'll all have contributed to that sin. You see, what Jesus is saying in this is, and where we're getting at this morning, is all of us in this room are lost and without a shepherd. All of us have been there. We live in a corrupt world, and you and I have been participated in corrupting the world. And yet, in God's sovereignty, he had a plan. He had a plan. God has a plan for the sin problem. You see, Jesus himself refers to himself as the light of the world. And so he is the answer. He is our solution. Jesus Christ is our answer to our depravity, not our knowledge. And so it starts with us first and foremost. Do we believe? First and foremost, do you and I believe that Christ was the answer for my 
depravity, for your depravity? Do we believe that he really did die a sinless life? That he came and for 33 years walked in complete obedience to God the Father. Why? Because he said in Luke 19, I've come to seek and save that which is lost. And part of him knowing that we were lost, he knew there had to be provision because of our sin. You see, the whole Old Testament talks about a way for the, the man that God had created to be back in right relationship with God. And the way to do that was through sacrifice. That, the, that man, in their sinfulness, would take a, a, a spotless lamb and offer it back to God as a sacrifice so that their sins would be forgiven, so that they would be back in relationship with the Holy God. And then the New Testament fulfills all the Old Testament. That Jesus arrives on the scene and says, I am this perfect spotless lamb. You don't even have to offer me to God. I offer myself to God in an act of obedience. And for 33 years, he walked the planet to show us what it looked like to fulfill the Old Testament covenant. And then on that dark dark day on that friday he in complete obedience to god said to god oh god not my will but your will be done the will of god was to seek and save the lost and he gave his life sacrificially for you and for me if you get a chance read isaiah chapter 43 44 50 52 53 it talks about all the goodness of jesus christ on display for the world, and that the wrath of God was satisfied in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Do you know that because we are dark, and we are desperate, and we are hopeless, and we are sinners, the wrath of God ought to be poured out on us? You see, just as much as God is holy and just in love, He is a wrathful God. And the wrath of God must be satisfied. And the wrath of God was satisfied in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And now he says to us in John 17, Oh, I send you into the world. What, man? Seriously? Really, God? Don't you know? Yes, he knows. How does he know? Because it's all on the cross. He took it all that day on the cross. All the sins from before and all the sins after are on the cross. So yes, he knows. And yet he sends us into the world. How come? To be the salt and light of the world. And what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us? In your Bibles, please circle the first two words of of verse 13. You are. You are. Not you might be, not you could be, not you should be, not you need to be. No, you are the salt and light of the world. That is a declaration of our identity, who we are. If I brought little Cedar and little Tennyson up here, I would say to you, oh, they have blue eyes and they have brown hair and they are short and they are tall and they are beautiful and they are mine. And you would know they were mine. How? Because of their identity. The same way is true for us as believers. Does our identity show that we are the salt and light of the world? Or is it like, uh, mm-mm, not sure. You see, in the moment of our conversion, it tells us in the New Testament that we were adopted as his sons and his daughters. Therefore, our DNA 
changed. Our identity changed. And now because of that, you are the salt and light of the world. That is not a command from God, okay? That is not a suggestion from God. That is a declaration on you of who you are. And so are we the salt and light of the world? We'll start with the word salt. There's so many things have been said. It's getting hot in here, sorry. I'm getting excited. Salt was a very precious commodity in Jesus' time. You see, have you ever heard the saying, it's, that's worth its salt? That's what that phrase comes from, because they would pay the soldiers in salt. Thank God y'all don't pay me in salt. You see, salt was so important back then because there was no refrigerators. There was no way to keep meat cool. There was no way to, to keep it preserved for a long time. And so what they would do is they would take salt and pack it into the meat to preserve it. And so when Jesus is saying to us, his disciples, that you are salt of the earth, he is saying this, that you are age preservance of this world that you and I can enter into this world and at least help slow down the corruption. What? God has called us to go into the world to help preserve the world from the corruption it's already in. We won't stop it, but we can preserve it. We can help preserve a dying and corrupt world because we are the salt of the world. See, another thing that salt was used for was flavor. Everyone knows if something needs salt. It's pretty obvious. Now you take that one bite. Ooh, hey, girl, you need to dip, dip. It's a little bland. Like eating it like, oh, man, it all tastes the same. You add salt and pop, 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 all the flavors start coming out. And that's what God is saying to us. Not only to we to be preservance of the world, but we are to bring flavor to the world. And how are we going to do that if we remove ourselves from the world? No wonder the world thinks we're boring. Of course they do, because we're not in the world. How's the world going to see anything about who God is if we aren't out displaying what God is doing? That's how we become flavor to the world. The last thing is this that salt does. Uh, they do it for athletes. What, what do they, I mean, they don't do it anymore, but back in the day, they would give us salt tablets. How come? To bring us to a place of thirst so that we, we'd go get hydrated. What are we to be? We are to be salt tablets to the world, that we go out in the world and the world gets thirsty. John 4 says this, I am the living water. Well, how are they going to get that water if they're not thirsty? And how are they going to get thirsty if we don't go give them the salt? Man, I'm excited this morning. Give me a week off and this is what happens. So three things. We are to be preservatives of this world. We are to bring flavor to the world. And we are to bring a thirst to the world so they will crave the water of God. The last thing is this. Not the last thing, but this point, I promise we got some more to cover. If you need something to drink, get up. There's still leftover food from this morning. Breakfast, go get it, come back. I'll keep going. God says this, you are the light of the world. 
That's your identity. So what does it mean to be the light of the world? What does light do? Light shows the details. Right? If I want to see something in detail, I don't take it to the shadows. I bring it to the light, and I shine light so I can see the details of what's happening. If someone gives me a great gift, and I want to see the fullness of the gift, I don't take it into a, cl- a closet to look at. I take it into a bright room to look at. And so what God is saying to us as the light of the world, we are to shine into this world, into the dark places of the world, so that the world will see the truth. We are the truth. Not we, but Christ who lives in us. Do we believe that? You see, we live in a corrupted world, but we also live in a dark world. And so we are living in a dark world. The light needs to be shown into the dark places of the world. How come? Because we have people that are lost and cannot see. You see, that's the other thing that light does. Light shows what really is going on around us. The very first thing I do in the morning, I hate waking up in the morning, um, first and foremost. Uh, and Jenny bought these uh, curtains that don't let light in, so it is like a ton- uh, cave in our room, which is awesome to sleep. But the moment I got to get up, it's like pitch black, and I have no idea where I'm going. So I got to find my phone, and hope I put it on low enough with the light not to wake her up. And so what do I do? I want to get around things. I want to see things, but I need lights to do that. The same is true for this lost world. They have no idea where they're going. And they don't know where the light switch is. But we have the light switch. We have the candle. We have the thing that can show them where they need to go. And if we're not in the world, they will continue to be lost and in the darkness. It's as if I were to close all these uh, beautiful stained glasses, the back doors made this pitch black, and I just lit one simple little candle, you would see a lot more. Oh, but what if I gave you a candle and you a candle and you a candle and you a candle and you a candle, and I said, hey, as you get the candles, you draw together and you draw up on this stage and we would have 70 candles. It would no longer be a dark room. You see, that's the other thing. You see, you take one kernel of salt or pebble, whatever, the, however you to measure salt. Again, my education isn't the greatest. So you take one little piece of salt and one little light, it doesn't do a whole lot. But I take a whole lot of salt and I took a whole lot of light. It makes a whole lot of difference. That's the other beautiful part about the church, about the believers. We were never meant to be the salt and light of the world alone. We were meant to do it in community with other people. You see, when this church really becomes the salt of this community and the light of this community, it will attract people. We won't have to throw up uh, great music and great shows and great fall festivals and great whatevers. We don't have to become attractional that way. The light of Christ becomes attractional. How do I know that? Because the church in India is growing faster than any other church in the world. They don't have a smoke show every Sunday morning. They have simply this, that they gather around the Word of God and let the Word of God give them flavor and let the Word of God give them light. And then they are so convinced and convicted that they live in a lost world that they must take the Word of God into their world to share the word of God with their lost people. 
You see, the church of India and the church of China is not waiting for the church to grow internally. They are going out of the church. Why? Because they know they're going to be persecuted, and they know that the love of God means something to them far greater than gathering in a building. But they know if they lost and their lost friends died, they will die and go to hell. They live with conviction of lostness and corruptness. Do we? You see, we are God's salt and God's light. We are God's salt to help prevent corruption, and we are God's light to reveal His truth. With time, I'll finish rather quickly. Here's the problem. Found in verses 13 and verses 14. If salt has lost its flavor, it's useless. We don't light a lamp and put it under a bowl. What's happened to the church, church? What has happened to the church? The church has lost its saltiness. You see, in that word that God is saying through Jesus, he is not talking about your salvation. You cannot, hear me over and over and over again from this pulpit, you cannot lose your salvation you did not choose your salvation, therefore you cannot lose your salvation. God says once you're in his hand, no one can pluck you out of his hand. God is not talking about salvation in this message. What God is saying to us in this passage is, have we become too much like the world, that we've been diluted? That's what's happening, and this is what Jesus is saying. Salt can lose its flavor when it's diluted. You see, in and of itself, salt will never lose its saltiness. It just can't, the way it's made up. But, man, it can be totally diluted. I take a little bit of salt and put it in a lot of water. You won't taste the salt. You'll taste the water. Just like I can't take a little bit of light and put it under a, a bushel and it then give off light. It just can't happen. The same is true for us in the church. Have we lost our flavor? Have we lost our light? Have we become too much like the world? And we begin to love the passions of the world. You see, what he says in Romans 12 is this. Do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your minds, by the testing that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I believe too many of us have become conformed to the world. By what we listen to, by what we watch, by what we talk about. First Peter 1 Peter 1.4 says this. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. First John 1 says this, 2, 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eye and pride and possessions, is it not from the fa they are not from the Father, but they are from the world. And the world is passing away along with all of its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. This world will pass away, but you being in Christ, you will never pass away. Do we believe that? The problem isn't are we saved or not saved, church. That's not the problem for the church. As believers, have we lost our flavor? Have we lost our light? The last one in wrapping up, the purpose is this, found in verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds, your good works, and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. It matters what we do. 
It matters what we do. It matters who we are. It matters what we watch. It matters what we listen to. It matters where we go. It matters what we laugh about. It matters what we don't laugh about. You see, what Jesus is saying there in that passage is this. In the same way, let your light shine before others. I don't know about you, but I've been around godly men. And I'll be in the midst of people that are talking about ungodly things. The moment that godly man into the picture, the conversation changes. Is that true for me? Is that true for you? Do I bring such an agent of change in the Holy Spirit that when my presence shows up in the moment of darkness, that the, that the, that the darkness sees the light and the, it's no more? Is that true for me? How come it would be true for me because of my good works? Do I live out the gospel of Jesus Christ everywhere I go? And here's the reason. It's not about you. We don't do good works for our praise. I don't go and live out the gospel of Jesus Christ outside of here so that I get praised. It says this, so that in your doing good works, that they would see that and that attaches it back to the they and they will give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That the unbeliever will see a difference and in his seeing a difference in my good works will then give glory to God. That's what the psalmist says in Psalms 115, verse 1. Not to us, not to us, O Lord, but to your name we give the glory. And for the sake of your steadfast love and for your faithfulness. Do we and are we the salt and light of the world for the glory of God? That's all that matters. It doesn't matter if one more person comes into this church. It really doesn't to me. It would matter that the glory of God would be seen in this church. I'm more about God getting glory than uh, the budget's increasing, the butt's increasing, and the pews. Not because of what you eat, because of the numbers coming in. And buildings, the three butts of the church, the three B's of the church. I don't care about those things. I really do not. I would meet out in a tent in the freezing cold to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to people that will come and listen. It's not about numbers, it's not about dollar signs, and it's not about a bigger building to me. I promise that. It's about you and about I giving more and more and more and more honor and glory to God because when God gets the glory, God will do something about it. Is that true for us, church? You see, because the identity has changed. You are the salt and you are the light of the earth. Is that true for us, Palace Chapel? You see, I promise you this, and I'll say it, till November 18th, and I'll say it every day after that, as long as I'm here, it matters that we're putting items in a box and sending them halfway around the world. That matters. That matters to me, because it matters to God. It matters to God that we're shoving things in a little box to display His glory to a lost village. It matters to God. It matters that we do a fall festival. It matters to God. It matters in a few weeks we'll have a, a dinner at Thanksgiving. That matters to God, not because of the food, not because of some crayons going into a box or crayons, however you want to say it, going in a box. I promise you that it matters because the glory of God is at stake. And the glory of God is all that God is concerned about. Is that true for us, Palace Chapel? 
Is that true for us past chapters? You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall it be salty again? No, it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand to give light to all that are in the house. And in the same way, you let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. Let us pray. Oh God, let us be the salt and light of the world. Wherever we go today, God, wherever we go tomorrow, I pray that we, this church, your people, us as believers, would go and be the salt and light of the world. God, I pray if there's anyone in here that has no idea what I'm talking about, they don't have any clue what it means to be the salt and light of the world, that God, you, through your Holy Spirit, in this moment would speak directly to their hearts and say it's, it's about you and you first, that they would come to a saving knowledge, a saving belief that you are the Son of God and have been set here to set them free from their sin. We've talked about all of sin and all have fallen short of the glory of God. But you, God, through your Son, make provision for that. You are the great Redeemer, as we just sang. And so, God, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, has no personal relationship with you, I pray today would be the day that you draw them to yourself. God, lead us, lead this church to be the salt and light. God, we live in a corrupt and dark world. You've placed us in that dark and corrupt world for a purpose, to seek and save the lost. Pray this in your sweet name, Jesus. Amen. This morning, I'll be up front. If you do